I'm Jack Moylan, and you're listening to Let's Talk Business, a podcast geared towards young professionals served with a side of witty commentary. At Lutz, we rally around the mantra, make light, meaning be lighthearted, illuminate solutions, and create energy. We hope this episode will do just that. Let's make the complex simple. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Business. Today, we're going to talk about insurance, all kinds of things related to insurance, the basics, you know, maybe some things you want to look toward, look forward to in your 20s and 30s related to insurance. But with me is Let's Financial Director and Investment Advisor, Joe Hefflinger. Joe, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and why we're talking about insurance with you? Sure, Jack, and thanks for uh, having me on. So a little bit about myself. So I'm born and raised in Omaha, so I've been here most of my life. I actually went to law school at Creighton, so I spent the first six years or so of my professional life as an attorney, Mm -hmm. and I did uh, corporate law, mergers and acquisitions, and tax. You know, I actually really loved it. It was at a good firm, good people, but while I was there, you know, I got married, had our first daughter, and so we really started spending a lot of time on our, uh, our own personal financial planning, and, you know, as I started spending more time on that, I just you know, develop more of a passion for it. And so, you know, I kind of made, decided to make the decision to leave the practice of law and move over to financial services. So I've been doing that for probably the last 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. So I've been at Lutz since about 2015. Before that, while I, you know, transitioned out of law, I spent most of that at Silverstone Group, which is another, you know, great local firm. And it's actually at Silverstone where I developed and learned a lot about the insurance industry, which is obviously relevant for what we're going to be talking about. So, yeah. you know, while there I did a lot of, you know, work with a lot of people on like life insurance and disability insurance, uh, long-term care, you know, some of the stuff we'll be talking about today. So, Sweet. you know, since moving over to Lutz, so I'm obviously in our Lutz Financial Group. So we, Lutz Financial, we provide, you know, comprehensive financial planning, we provide investment management, and then we also have another division that basically works all on 401k retirement plans for people. Yep. So my role at Lutz Financial, I'm a financial advisor, so I really spend, you know, all day basically working with clients on implementing and developing their financial plans, and then also helping with the investments for our clients. Uh, most of our clients end up using us for both financial planning and investments. So I'm really spending most of my time directly working with individual clients of varying degrees of wealth that have different financial planning needs, uh, one of which often uh, is insurance. So Sure. I mean, what, what's your favorite part about, you know, being an advisor and financial planning? Is it, I mean, are you really excited by the stock market or is it helping? I mean, what, because what, I'm just curious. What, yeah, no, a good question. I, mean, I think when most people hear that you're, you know, in financial services, you're a financial advisor, like the first thing they think about is the stock market and you're, yeah. you're helping people, you know, pick stocks and, you know, you know, choose Tesla or GameStop or what, <laughs> yeah, right. Bitcoin or whatever, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, there's some element of, you know, we're obviously providing investment advice and helping people kind of grow their money over time to achieve their goals. But I'd say, you know, more important than that, or I guess more of a focus of why I, made the transition into wanting to provide financial advice for individuals is just, you know, the direct tangible impact that you can make on people's lives. So, I mean, you're working with, if you're working with somebody younger, you're really helping them avoid a bunch of bad decisions that they could make if they're otherwise maybe not getting advice or maybe getting bad advice. Mm -hmm. And as you're working with clients that are, you know, we work with clients of various age ranges. So we'll have some people that'll come in and they'll be, you know, in their mid fifties and they haven't really done any financial planning. And they're like, I want to retire in 10 years. Like, what do I need to do? (laughs) And so, you know, in those situations, you can really make a huge impact and help people make 
informed decisions to put them in a better spot. Really, I mean, financial planning is really about helping people achieve their goals and live their life the way they want to and not have, you know, bad financial decisions kind of handicap or limit what they're able to do as they get older in life. It's about creating flexibility and freedom so that they can, you know, do the things they love to do with the people they love to do them with. Nice. Well, that's cool. So it's really end to end. I mean, strategy for, like you said, getting people in a good spot to be able to do what they want to do. Absolutely. And I mean, the team that's down there too. I mean, because we, we've had a podcast with Justin, done a podcast with Nick. Um, I'm sure we'll do a podcast with Jim at some point, anyone yep. else yep. down there, you know, maybe Josh, uh, you yep. know, whoever. Now we're talking to you. I mean, there's a wealth of knowledge, obviously, in a wide, yep. wide range of areas. I mean, you've got your background. And so it's it really seems like we can offer people a lot of really good advice on really any number of topics. No, and that's, I mean, part of the attraction of when I joined Lutz was just, you know, the team is great. And that, you know, goes across all divisions and spectrums. But in the financial world, financial side, like like you said, we've got people that all kind of have slightly different backgrounds and, and skill sets. And when you're working with Lutz Financial, you know, you're not just a, you know, a Joe client or a Jim client, you're a Lutz client. And so if I've got a client in there and I'm, you know, maybe have the relationship and working with them closely. But if there's a, like a unique social security question, I'll bring Nick into it. Right. Yeah, he worked there and he, you know, he knows that better than anybody. Or if there's, you know, um, you know, a specific question relating to, you know, on, on the bond side of what we're doing, we'll bring in Justin. So, you know, we've got different, you know, skill set and background and that, and that's not just in the financial group of, you know, we've got a wealth of knowledge up, you know, upstairs, we're on the second floor, right. all the CPAs are on the third floor. You know, if I've got some weird tax question or, or weird, you know, you know, specialization that any other part of the a firm can handle, we'll just bring the best person to bear. And right. that's kind of part of the advantage of working on a firm like Bloods. You bet. Yeah. No, that's why it's been, I feel like we're almost cheating on this podcast because we've got so many knowledgeable, unique people, unique, especially. I mean, we can talk to some fun people sure. around here, of course. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people here are smart, but they also like to have fun and yeah. drink a beer every once in a while. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So, well, do you get many questions? questions or people asking for your advice related to insurance while you're helping them plan financially? Or? Absolutely. So when, when we go through a financial plan, so a lot of times when we're, we're starting a relationship with a client, you know, again, most people kind of, when they first think about it, they're kind of thinking investments, right? But on the on the initial, you know, phase of working with a client, and even, you know, as we move forward with clients, you know, the focus, you know, at the beginning is on financial planning, and kind of that continues to drive the relationship, even if we're helping with the investments going forward. So when we do a financial plan for people, you know, we're kind of depending on where they're at in life and, and what their goals are. We're generally, you know, having three, four meetings where we're, we're going through a process where we understand, you know, where are you at? Where are you trying to go? You know, are you saving enough? You know, are you going to be able to retire when you want to? All that kind of stuff. But part of that process is also, you know, what kind of risks are out there that you're either planning for or haven't planned for that can kind of derail you along the way as you're trying to, you know, execute on your financial plan. And so an insurance is a big part of that. And, you know, insurance is really just all about, risk management. It's all about what things are out there that could, you know, cause a big impact on me that could really hurt me financially and set me back. Mm -hmm. and, and are there insurance products out there where I can, you know, pay a relatively small premium to go in a pool with a bunch of people that have similar potential risks as I am. And there's going to be somebody in that pool that's going to be the unfortunate <laughs> one that has something bad to them. Right. But we all kind of pool our premiums together and, you know, we then bear the risk with the insurance company and we're transferring the risk to the insurance company. So it's really transferring that risk to another third party that then bears, you know, the risk if something bad happens, they step in and, and, and fulfill the, you know, the obligation. So, you know, definitely are advising all of our clients on insurance and for different clients at different phases of life, that might be different types of insurance and different levels of need. 
But fundamentally, you know, even if you're just out of college, you should be thinking about some of these basic things to, to put in place, even as you get going and maybe your assets aren't, you know, where they're, well, they'll be down the road. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, just along the lines of, you know, advice for different, different ages of people and kind of the full gamut of advice and planning. Justin gave a presentation to us down in Let's Tech where, you know, he went through kind of the, you know, your top eight priorities in terms of your finances, making sure, you know, you're getting, you know, a, an emergency fund set up, high, you know, high interest debt paid off, et cetera, et cetera. And one yep. of those was, of course, you know, the insurance topic. So, I mean, it really, it kind of demystifies some of these topics a little bit, being able to talk through it with someone like you guys, because it's, you know, they're kind of some interesting topics, especially if you're coming right out of college or, yep. you know, if you're in your twenties or thirties. Yep. So, I mean, on that and, you know, along that, along the lines of that, what are some main, you know, forms of insurance you should plan for or explore and, and some that maybe you don't need to worry about yet? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, for, for the younger people that are maybe just out of college or, or kind of at the earlier part of their career, it's really just about blocking and tackling and getting some of the basics in place. You know, you don't want to worry about, you know, getting into overly complicated areas of insurance or, you know, where, where you're kind of covering, you know, things that maybe aren't relevant to you yet based right. on where your assets are and your age. But, you know, you, you want to get your, you know, most people that are transitioning out of college are typically going to be in an apartment. Maybe they, they don't own their own home yet. So you, so you definitely want to have, you know, renter's insurance in place. Most of the time, your landlord's going to require that anyway. But if right. for some reason, they, you know, they didn't, then, you know, you want to get some basic coverage in place. And that's really, you know, fundamentally the main part reason for that is to kind of protect your belongings. So, you know, that's what I thought. It's more possessions, right? Possessions. So like your, your landlord is going to be covering the buildings and, you know, something happens to, you know, the actual structure, that's going to be stuff that your landlord's covering. Right. While you're there, you're more, you're more caring about your stuff that's in it that, that you want to take with you. So, you know, you really want to kind of have an inventory generally of like what, what your possessions are and have that coverage kind of match up with, you know, if there's a burglary or, you know, water damage or fire or smoke, you know, something like that, that kind of, you know, damages your property. You want to kind of have that covered. And that's probably the main piece of it. It's not really, it's not expensive. No, it's very cheap. And it's, it's you know, some of these basic ones are just kind of no brainers. And, and the reason you wouldn't, you know, have it is, you know, again, usually that's going to be required. But some of these are just, you know, not necessarily requirements, but they're just, you know, very cheap. And, and, and because, you know, you're at a spot where your assets aren't a whole lot. So you're really not having that much to insure, but you'd rather pay a little bit for this premium as opposed to have something happen. And now you got to replace all your possessions. So it's, 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 again, it's all about kind of transferring risk and, and paying, you know, a relatively small amount to kind of protect against a, you know, a catastrophic or, you know, a, a painful loss that you right. don't have to deal with. Is there any shopping that you should do in terms of renter's insurance? Cause I've always, I mean, I still rent, you know, now as we mm -hmm. speak and, and I've, you know, whether it's someone that's been recommended to me or right now I, I, I'm with Geico just because mm -hmm. it's who I have auto insurance with, right? And so well, it just kind of made it easy. I mean, you could just go with who's got the best commercials, right? Because those right. are all like, yeah. you know, generally, you know, particularly when you're younger and you're talking about like renters, auto and, you know, umbrella, kind of your basic initial coverages. You typically at that level, it's, it's harder to find somebody independent that's really going to shop around for you. I mean, right. sometimes working with a insurance consultant or agent, the nice part is that they will maybe do all that for you. When you're just starting out and you're kind of talking about some of these basic coverages, you're mm -hmm. really, it's more likely that you're going to be kind of shopping on your own. And, right. and really the ones, you know, Geico, Allstate, you know, Liberty Mutual, right. um, State Farm. I mean, the ones, you know, all the ones that have the commercials that you see all the time. I mean, they're big national outfits and they tend to do large quantities of coverage, which can tend to, you know, 
uh, have, have competitive rates. Right. So, so you're probably, you know, with renters and, and kind of auto and, and liability, particularly as you get going before your assets kind of get to a level where maybe, you know, there might be somebody more specialized that'll shop it around for you. You're probably doing some of that due diligence yourself and, and, and starting with some of those bigger ones is not a bad place to start. Well, and so what, I mean, what is some of that due diligence? Because you mentioned, you know, making sure that your coverage is for, you know, whether it's burglary or, or flooding or anything like that. I mean, should you, how much, you know, homework should you really put into your renter's insurance to make sure that it's going to cover, let's say you live on a floodplain or, I mean, is that Pro- the kind of. Probably not a ton. I mean, right. when it comes to like renters, I probably wouldn't overthink it. It's probably more just getting the, getting it, just having it in place right. and making sure that the coverage is adequate relative to your possessions. <clears throat> probably the only, you know, real decision there as you kind of think about it is, you know, do you have kind of your personal belongings coverage and mm-hmm. then there's also a second component that's kind of a liability coverage mm-hmm. and this can kind of bleed into your auto and, and what, what we'll talk about a little bit too umbrella coverage right. and really you know so you kind of look at this coverage collectively so you, you know whether you're in a house or you're in a, a apartment you'll have your either home insurance and your renter's insurance as kind of one component and then you know you'll have your, your auto coverage so those coverages kind of sometimes work together with a third coverage, which is kind of called liability or umbrella. So, okay. you, so, so really you want to have sufficient coverage in those two base coverages. So like your renter's insurance, you want to have at least enough that will allow you to qualify to get the umbrella insurance you want. Mm-hmm. And umbrella is really probably more you know, the important coverage, really, you know, really relative to all of it. So if you think about what could happen, you know, it's probably less likely when you're you know, owning an apartment where you know, you're going to cause damage to somebody else where they're going to have like a claim against you. Sure. You know, but that could happen where, you know, slip and fall, <laughs> you know, you get right. somebody's using your shower, you know. Now, in my situation yeah. where I'm renting a home, it'd probably be the the landlord that has a homeowner landlord that has an umbrella policy over yeah. Well, so so the themselves. they would have some coverage on their own, but this is really umbrella is really kind of covering a situation where you've done something either or, you know somebody's either been injured on your property, right. or you know probably more realistically where this comes up is you're driving and you get in an accident and mm-hmm. you're causing damage to somebody else, and so. What happens in those situations is you want your underlying coverage to kind of protect you up to a certain amount. Mm-hmm. But what this umbrella coverage does is it, it stands on top of your either your renters or your homeowners insurance and your auto coverage. And it comes in and says, OK, I've done something where somebody is now suing me right. because I've injured them in a car accident or, or they got injured in my property, whatever it may be. And I want this coverage to come in and protect me from a lawsuit. And and really, so, you know, the umbrella kind of works with those other two coverages. And but the point is to get the umbrella coverage coverage a lot of times you have to have like a minimum amount of coverage below it sure so that the umbrella will then kick in above it yeah and so you know the, the the really the only piece of that getting back to the renter's insurance is there's something called a liability coverage which is really you know coverage where if somebody gets injured while they're on your property that was my question yeah so in a situation where you're renting a, an apartment or a house or something mm-hmm. there's a liability portion to your renter's insurance sure okay yep and that's that's probably the the, the piece that maybe you want to think through a little bit like I said the possession piece is probably less it's more just straightforward what are your possessions and try to make sure you're kind of generally covered it's more the liability coverage that can become the bigger probably claim right. and again it's, it's probably less likely in an apartment but you know again somebody could get injured i guess if you're right out of college and you're you know hosting people and maybe there's somebody that's underage that's drinking and they go out and do something in mm-hmm. nebraska there are laws that could potentially hold you liable in that kind of situation sure you know so that could theoretically come up with somebody that's younger that's in, a, in an apartment it's probably more likely when you're you know owning your own house and there's maybe more property and area where somebody could like slip and fall and get hurt but really the 
huge part where this is coming up is more when you're driving, uh, right. just more potential for, for an accident where you're going to be deemed liable. And so obviously, you know, auto coverage is another important one to be thinking about just kind of your basic coverage. And I tell you, you know, usually each state, Nebraska has got like minimums that you have to have generally to, to be out on the road. There's a lot of people out there that are driving uninsured. A lot. Yeah. Um, Which there's a, there's a, there's a, like a, a pol- part of that party policy will insure you against uninsured, which is it's a very that's a good point, and that's that's a, one of the more important parts of the auto coverage that I would tell you that uh, a lot of people under, you know, underutilize or don't think through. You know, most people think about on the auto side, they're thinking about you know they injure somebody else, and you know there's kind of minimums based on you know you'll typically see it in kind of third, so you see like 25, 50, 25, and mm-hmm. what that really means is like. You know how much coverage is provided for each individual you injured in the accident. Mm-hmm. How much coverage is there for kind of all injured parties in the accident, and then what is the property damage for the people that you injure? So those are those kind of three numbers. Nebraska will have a minimum that I think is like twenty five thousand, fifty thousand, twenty five thousand. Okay. So a lot of people just be like, I'm just going to get the bare minimum and call it good. You know, generally would encourage you to get more than the minimum just because you know your liability exposure is is going to be higher than that. And it's also possible that to get the umbrella coverage, you might need to have higher limit than the minimums to kind of get that umbrella coverage that I think is important to get. But to your point, you know, the other piece of that is in Nebraska actually has uh, requirements of, you know, what's called uninsured or underinsured motorist coverage, which is what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. So that's a scenario where you're out driving and somebody else hits you and they don't either don't have coverage or they're underinsured, which again happens a lot. And so this is coverage that steps in to kind of provides protection for you in that event so that you get some, you know, made whole as much as you can mm-hmm. since the other party's not going to be able to do it. So that's another important part of the coverage to have as well. But I would say in all of that stuff, you know, the umbrella policy, which again kind of steps over, you know, your auto and your renters and your home is probably, you know, one of the more important coverages there just because it's it, it's the cheap, it's one of the cheapest forms of insurance out umbrella there. Umbrella is? Umbrella is. Okay. You know, so usually it starts out like in degrees of a million. And a lot of times people are like, well, you know, I'm just, I don't have assets. I don't need a million of coverage. But what you got to remember is if you get, say you get in a car accident and you're deemed at fault and somebody, you know, you, you get the wrong fact pattern. So you hit a car full of lawyers or you hit, you know, a young person that is now having severe bodily damage and they need like round the clock care the rest of their life. I mean, right. some that could rack up a huge either medical bill or a huge claim for like lost wages. You know, you hit the surgeon and now he can't perform, you know, uh, sur- yeah, right. <laughs> right. You know, or it's just his, his career somehow done. And he's like, well, I'm only 40 and I was going to make this the rest of my life. You know, those can turn into big claims. And even if you don't have a lot of assets today, you know, you could have assets in, in the future and you're also maybe making, you know, or earning a living somehow. So you, that judgment can attach to your wages that can garnish your wages and they could, that, that claim can actually stick to you in the future. So if you come into assets down the road, they could try to attach to it later on. So just because you're, you know, maybe out of college and you're like, you know, what are they going to sue me for? Like, it's more complicated than that because that could stick with you for a while. And again, the umbrella, even at a million to start is like the cheapest, you know, we're, we're maybe talking couple hundred bucks and not that that's nothing. And we always, I always tell people it's, you know, it's not my job to spend all your money on insurance, but it's also, you know, my job to help you understand what risks are out there and to make a good decision about, you know, what level of risk is acceptable and what level of risk do you want to insure against when there's a good deal out there. So you're kind of saying that there's really, it's not never too early to think about umbrella. Right. No, I, I would be, you know, as soon as you're out there and you're, you know, you're, 
you can only get umbrella when you've got these other underlying coverages to Up combine to it with. Yeah, right. You know, so you got to have you know the auto and typically either renters or you know homeowners to be able to attach that too. But uh, yeah, as soon as you're looking at those coverages, I would I would certainly be pricing out and asking what are my options for umbrella and, mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, start out with the minimum, which is typically a million, but uh, you know, as long as that pricing is not crazy for some reason, you know, and all that stuff, you know, they're going to underwrite you based on your own risk factors. So, sure. you know, if somebody's out there and, you know, say they've got a pool that's higher risk. 26 year old with a pool. Or exactly. Something. You know, or, or you, or, or as you get older, you know, you've actually got your own kids and now they're out driving, you yeah. know, anything that, you know, you, you, you've got boats, jet skis, you know, dogs can bite people, you know, anything they, they kind of look at all the, all your factors and say, okay, what kind of stupid stuff could you get into? Right. And then they figure out, you know, what, what your premium is going to be to some extent. I wonder if they can look at your last name and just kind of judge based on that and say, you know, I don't think, Moylan, yeah, no. And Omaha is a small town. I, I don't, you know, probably they should, but yeah. I don't think they're quite to that level yet. Ask but, around a but, little bit. Yeah, you know, that might be the next wave of, uh, of underwriting. Yeah, sure. I was gonna say they could get a couple stories and be like, yeah, I don't right. Know, we're go yeah, they don't there. like check with your like high school, you know, buddies <laughs> yeah. and like ask what did Jack do? Yeah, interview uh, your friends, see right. how they pick their friends. Right. They probably, I mean, they probably get better uh, underwriting results if they did. But, yeah. Um, thankfully, they can't do that. Right. Well, cool. So, you know, get into your 20s, 30s. Let's talk about moving out of that renter's realm and moving into homeowner's insurance. Is there anything specific or different that that you should look out for? Keep in mind when moving into that world. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, you know, again, it's, it's, it's not, you know, overly technical. It's probably a little bit more complicated than renters. You want to, you know, make sure that you're, and some of this is going to be required by your lender. So you're obviously, you're, you're going to have a mortgage in most cases and and they're going to be requiring some amount of coverage. You know, so there's going to be some, you know, relation to the, the value of your house and kind of what kind of replacement costs would get factored in there. You're typically going to have, you know, coverage for, you know, if you got like other structures. So like if you got like a shed or something around, you know, you might get that insured differently. It's going to have a piece to cover your personal possessions, just like the renters will. And that's typically designed as like a percentage of whatever your dwelling coverage is, is typically okay. kind of how that's handled. You know, I would say, you know, some of that depends on where you live. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're at different parts of the country, you're worried about more, you know, what kind of weather can kind of hit you, you know, so some places might be more earthquake and flooding you know here it's probably more like hail right um, that's what i was going to ask yeah. you i mean what are some of the considerations in terms of hail is there really any? i would just make sure you understand you know be talking to your agent on exactly what it covers and what it doesn't cover because sure. i think you know that can affect you know i think there's different riders and stuff you can get relating to hail and, and kind of what amount of coverage you can get and, and what's there and what's not but it's you know ultimately uh, on these pieces of coverage it's really just it's fun to fundamentally understanding like what are the value of what you're trying to insure, what are the risks, and and then you know on the hail side of it, it's probably more you know who's going to help me when inevitably we get a hail storm. Like right. who do I call and who's you know what's the process and and what do I need to do? Who should I be talking to? Because odds are you know you live long enough in Omaha, you're going to have you know multiple potential hailstorms and figuring out when do I need to put in a claim. Right. Uh, understanding <clears throat> that every time you kind of put in a claim, it kind of impacts your insurability in the future. So you know the, on the one hand, like if you got a valid claim, obviously step forward and make it. But right. you know if you're making a bunch of claims all the time for little things that can sometimes you know impact your insurance rates going forward. So you know again not. Not overly complex, but it's just, you know, it's making sure that you've got what's in place for the risks that are in front of you. And again, on the home side, some of that can vary based on kind of where you're living and what those risks are. But Do you have any, and you know, kind of anecdotal, you know, input or advice 
And the reason I ask is because I was talking to Scott and that I mentioned to you the other day, you know, he went through the process of filing a claim for his hail damage, you know, same kind of thing we're talking about. And initially went and made a claim and, you know, was approved for X amount and then went to get the work done by a contract. And they say, hey, you know, typically it's a good idea to get a second opinion and, and you know, you can do it, get it done by a private or an independent um, insurance adjuster or whatever. Ended up being quite a bit different than what the insurance claim initially was. And so kind of saved him in the fact that he was able to actually get the repair needed based on the damage. I mean, anything that, that's kind of like a, a trap to avoid in those situations? Well, I would just, I mean, the main thing I would say is just, you know, depending on who you're working with, you know, make sure that you're, before you kind of do anything, talk talk to your agent about kind of what's covered and what's the process. You know, mm-hmm. don't be in a rush to get, you know, a roofer involved and in starting to do X, Y, and Z until you right. kind of know what you can and can't do and what's covered. Sure. And also be cautious. Anytime you're dealing with the roofing industry in general, you get a lot of these companies that'll like, you know, show up with like local numbers and names, but they're just, they're just driving around the country f- around. following the storms. Yeah, right. So be careful about who you're working with when it comes to the, the actual repair work and sure. make sure that there, there's a lot of like, uh, you know, uh, salespeople that are, you know, not qualified necessarily to be doing the work that are just going to tell you, you know, they're going to go around and they're going to knock on your door and say, Hey, you know, you've got X, Y, and Z hail damage. Like, you know, we need to cover this and, you know, we can get paid directly from the insurance and, and blah, blah, blah. You know, you just want to make sure, you know, I, I would start with, you know, your agent in terms of understanding the claim process and how to go about it. And mm-hmm. then, this is probably obvious to people that are older, but as you're younger and you're maybe new and maybe you're new to an area and you don't know, you know, you might just end up, oh, that guy, you know, seems like he knew what he was talking about. I'm going to have him work on my roof. Right. You know, that's probably, you know, one of the areas where you can get fraud and really get uh, mistreated is because is, that's a common occurrence in, in our areas where you're dealing with hail damage and you're looking at roofs. And I think it kind of can bring out some of the seedy underbelly of the uh, construction industry sure. so just be careful with that for sure the yeah i mean kind of the modern traveling snake oil right salesman, right? right right um i i suppose timeliness is probably a component of that too right i mean i i had a situation where my and this is not related to homeowners insurance or hail damage but you know my car got backed into didn't know who it was done by and so i just kind of let it sit for a while because i wasn't going to go i mean it was not a huge dent but it certainly could have been fixed you know a few weeks went by whatever and then i figured out it was the neighbor because i put two and two together time goes by it's like you know you can't really go after i'm sure in that situation yeah probably with that too can't come back a year later and say well my hell my hot my roof's damaged right no it, it gets it gets harder and you know depending on you know what type of claim you're talking about you know i definitely good general advice is <clears throat> as soon as you see it try to assess you know, what the damage is, talk to your agent and kind of work through the process. Don't put it off. Things can change in the you know interim, particularly, you know, if you're dealing with, you know, some kind of car, especially like, you know, if something happens, you know, the, the longer passage of time, the other person's got a chance to say, well, you know, that happened. You know, that, that wasn't was, me. That wasn't me. Yeah. Yeah. And that just kind of, you know, goes across the board, across insurance would just be, if you think you've got you know, some type of claim under any type of policy, you know, bring it to the attention of the of the right people, typically the agent who helped you with the policy and, and mm-hmm. they're gonna work with their the provider and the carrier. You know, depending on the complexity and what's going on, you know, maybe you gotta bring others involved, you know, right. that might be an attorney or, you know, other just advisors you might have. But generally speaking, getting the process going sooner is, is gonna get you in a better spot right. uh, in most most cases for sure. Do you bundle insurance with same providers? I mean, I know that obviously they have to offer it, but is that a good idea? Because we're I mean we'll 
get into life insurance a little bit, but is that a good idea if you're like, well, I don't know who to go for for homeowners? Well, I mean, clearly, I mean, if you watch uh, Geico, I mean, flow is all about the bundle. And, <laughs> right. and, the bundle uh, saves, I was just and, but, but that's true. Uh, and it's usually, you know, the, the those basic coverages we're talking about. So your, you know, renters or your home and your auto and your umbrella are typically three that you want to bundle because you will get the best rate generally by putting them all together. Mm-hmm. If you try to one, sh- you know, shop one off those at each a different carrier, you're generally going to pay higher rates. And so for sure, I would, uh, on those specifically, I would be bundling. Your other coverages, probably less so, you know, like your life insurance and your disability, you typically don't, you know, kind of get, you know, a bundling deal. I mean, it's possible you could, depending on the carrier, but that's generally not how that's structured. Same with health or, or any of these others. So right. those probably home, auto, umbrella are typically the three that you see linked together. And that's where, you know, as you're starting out and you're younger and, you know, those, those ones that are doing all the commercials are the big one, you know, those are probably ones where you're, you know, going online and maybe checking out quotes at a couple different spots, but those are ones that you can get kind of all those coverages in the same spot and that'll generally get you the best deal. So then for life then, I mean, when, you know, when's a good, I've read read articles about it and, and, you know, things say, well, you get a life insurance policy when you're young, you know, a 30 year term or that, you know, 30 years at all a 30-year policy and it'll be, you know, a lot cheaper, et cetera. Do you have I mean, some guidance there? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and life insurance is probably, out of all these, is probably the most complex. It's probably the most, you know, you'll get all sorts of different advice from different types of people. You right. know, people that are selling it, some of, some of them are better than others. You always got to be kind of leery of, you know, what people's uh, motivations are in terms of the advice they're giving you. On life insurance specifically, I would tell you, you know, as you're younger, you could be in a spot where maybe you don't have a need for life insurance at all. You know, if you're right out of college and you're not married, you don't have any kids and you've got nobody relying on you, you may not have a need for it at all. You know, to the extent you do, maybe if you've got some debts out there that you, you know, depending on the type of debt, some debts when you die are forgiven, some debts, you know, survive. And, you know, maybe you had a loan out there that somebody else co-signed on with you or whatever it might be, you know, so there could be, you know, reasons to have coverage at a young age, but generally speaking, they're much less so than as you move on in life and you have other people relying on you or you have kids or, you know, a family or whatever. So, sure. you know, first question is, is even figuring out, you know, do I even need it at this point? You know, right. a lot of times when you start in the workforce, your employer might offer <clears throat> some basic coverage and that might be, be something that they pay for you. And, and sometimes that's maybe like one time salary or something like that, that they just give all their employees. Sure. Uh, so obviously if it's there, you've got it and it's, you know, it's not even a decision really. It's just something you get. If they've got a, a, a deal where you can buy additional coverage, typically when you do that in the workspace, the younger you are, as long as you're relatively healthy, that's generally maybe not the best way to go about buying insurance. Because right. if you think about like a group insurance policy, so if, if you start at a job and they're like, hey, we're going to give you one-time salary and that's we'll pay for that and that's just a benefit that we provide you, but then you might also get an option to voluntarily buy more. Are you then pooled in with everybody that you're so, so you, Exactly. So you're, so you're, say you're young and healthy and now, you know, you've got these other people over here that are smokers and, you know. <laughs> Ready uh, to retire? Or, or, or I guess just, right. Right, just not in good, not in good health. Everybody kind of gets lumped together in kind of the same rating. So it's a good deal for the people that aren't in good shape or in good health. But the people that could go out and actually get underwritten at a at a at a favorable rate, you're probably going to be paying more, you know, in the group plan than you would if you went out and got the individual coverage. So, I guess my point is, don't always just jump at that voluntary coverage, uh, even though it's easy and it's just checking a you know box or something, and then they take it out of your paycheck. And I would say first and foremost, figure out, you know, do you even need 
additional coverage? And if so, your comment on, you know, locking in something for a long period of time, you know, that's generally a, a good strategy. I would say as people start getting to the point where they need life insurance, whether maybe they got married, you know, certainly when you start adding kids, you know, anytime where, you know, if I'm gone, I want somebody to be able to have some assets to that I would have otherwise maybe provided in some way or extinguish a debt that I had in some way. Once I get to the point where I've decided I need some, then, you know, I think, you know, relying on individual coverage that you buy outside of the workplace when you're young and healthy is generally the way to go. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, you know, the younger you are, the more in uh, shape you are, the, the lower your premiums are going to be. So it's like anything else. They assess what the risk is. They'll, an they'll ask you some questions. So you'll have to, you know, typically they'll take your, your blood, they'll take your urine, they'll take, you know, height, weight, all that kind of stuff. They'll ask you a whole slew of questions in terms of you know, your medical background. They'll typically get your medical records. Some of this is changing. Some of these online sites are, are doing it a little bit more streamlined where they're trying to underwrite with, you know, less of the hassle, you know, so, so and just with technology and, and medicine in general, like, you know, they're able to kind of gather some of this information elsewhere, you know, they'll get like your prescription history and whatnot. And so, you know, they'll do some <clears throat> due diligence on you. They're trying to make it less painful on, on the potential insured, you know, to go through this process of having to fill all this crap out and take these right. tests. But, you know, some of that's probably <clears throat> inevitable. But they're going to do their due diligence on you and then give you a rating and say, okay, you know, we actuarially think you're going to die here. And if that's, you know, short of when the policy expires, then, you know, you're probably going to get a, a, a better rate. So sure. the important thing is, is I think your, your, your thought of generally getting a longer term of coverage while you're young and in good health is, is a good idea. Mm -hmm. Typically, you know, 30 year term policy is about the longest kind of term policy you can get. It typically goes, you know, 30, 20, 15, 10. But when you're young, you know, if you're to the point when you've decided you need it, I would generally say locking in a 30 year policy is probably not a bad thing. Sure. And then it becomes how much coverage do you need? Right. And, and, you know, when you look at life insurance, you know, like I said, it can get really complex because there's different types and they're all kind of structured differently and have different reasons and, and um, for existing and kind of what they're trying to accomplish. I would tell you, you know, the key things to be thinking about when you're younger is just on the life insurance side is just one, do I need it? If I do, how long should I have it? And then, you know, what's the amount that I need? Right. But I would tell you in terms of, you know, what kind of policy to get, there, there's kind of two main types, right? So there's term life insurance and then there's permanent insurance. And, you know, most in most cases, when you're young and you're just kind of getting going, term life insurance is going to be, you know, the, the obvious choice and what you should be getting put in place. And term life insurance is really just, you know, you're locking in life insurance coverage for a set number of years. So mm -hmm. you're basically saying, okay, I put this policy in place today, and whether it's for 20 years or 30 years, I've got this coverage locked in, and and they, you know, they can't take it away from me. I know I've got it, even if my health changes. So I get it now while I'm young and healthy. In three years, my health changes or whatever, I'm still paying these low healthy rates as long as that policy is in effect. Like so, a fixed mortgage. Correct. Mm -hmm. So so you're so you're basically just locking in your good health right. when you get it. So that's kind of the the thought of kind of getting. It for longer when you're younger is that you you know you're getting at a lower rate and they and then obviously if you're buying it when you're young and even if it's 30 years you know that's only going to go take you to whatever 55 60 65 right you know you you know you, your odds of dying in that period 
anything can happen, but they know that they, you know, it's, it's not likely, you know, it's mm-hmm. more likely than not that you're not going to die in that period. So it's cheaper, you know, cheaper coverage to, to get. And so, you know, term life is nice because you just kind of lock in the price. So mm-hmm. you get a set price, and you know, it's going to, they're not going to be able to change that price on you while what it's is, in place. Do, what is, I mean, is there any way of knowing a typical cost of term life? I hate to, I hate it's, to, so it's just so many variables in terms of, you know, male, female health, you know, how many years, how old you are, lots of moving parts. I would just tell you, you know, generally speaking, term life insurance when you're young and healthy is going to be fairly cheap. It's probably going to be less than you're thinking compared to maybe some of these other coverages. So, you know, compared to like a disability policy, Mm -hmm. which we can talk about too, but disability, you have a higher probability of having a disability than you do of dying prematurely. So disability insurance, you know, it's again, this is all actuarial. So they basically set these equations of when they think you're going to die or have something happen or how likely it is. And then they set the price based on, you know, that likelihood happening or not. So I would tell you, yeah, again, hard to, hard to, you know, but, but a lot of times you're going to be paying, you know, less than a grand a year for depending on how much coverage. Now, the more coverage you get, the more it costs, but lots of times when you're starting out and you're younger, you're not necessarily getting a high cost. You're, mm-hmm. And when it really comes to that's probably an important part of this too is, you know, how much coverage do you need? Right. And that can be a tough one because if you're working with an insurance agent, like I said, some of them are better than others. There's lots of really good ones out there and there's some out there that are less maybe credible. Um, and so you, you want to make sure you're working with somebody that you trust. They're helping you kind of make that decision of how much you need. Right. There's some independent <clears throat> sources out there. You know, you can go to a, a site called, I think it's lifehappens.org, which is like a nonprofit, but they have like a calculator out there that, you know, nothing's perfect, you know, cause it's, you know, everybody you know it's your own individual situation so it's hard to like plug your life into an equation and say here's the answer how much you need right but it'll walk you through you know some basics of like you know what kind of debts would you want to pay off how much income would you want to replace you know what other factor you know some other factors that go into like you know how much coverage do you need and it'll generally you know help you that might not be a bad starting point in terms of trying to figure out how much you need but you know i would also rely on you know whoever you're you know if you're working with a financial advisor or you know you're working with an insurance agent have them kind of you know give you a sanity check on kind of what you need right with the caveat of maybe being a little leery on depending on what insurance person you're working with kind of what they're telling you but um, again a lot of good insurance agents out there too so it's working with somebody you trust well and you mentioned disability briefly let's get let's talk about that real quick in terms of what long term disability insurance i mean is that I mean, that is definitely something that sometimes is offered through your employer right correct yeah and it's an i'd say probably even more than life insurance while you're younger it's probably one of the most important coverages to get really because if you okay. think it through you know if you pass and you don't really have any assets and nobody's relying on you you know i'm sure you know there's lots of people that are sad that you're gone but in terms of financially you know might not leave that big of an impact mm-hmm. but if you're you know if you become disabled, I mean, you're still kicking and you've still got to, you know, eat and you've still got to, right, you know, yeah. but now you're, if you're considered disabled, you're probably in a spot where you're unable to actually do your work. And so you're no longer getting that paycheck coming in and you, but you've still got out there and you've got to pay for rent or pay for your food. You know, you've still got to survive and, 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 and live. And so you've got to replace that income. And mm-hmm. so, and again, it's, it's, a it's, it's something that's more directly going to impact you, whereas life insurance is obviously going to impact the people you leave behind. Sure, but but disability insurance when you're young is an important one because if you know if you don't have that coverage and something happens, 
you know, you, you could be in a really hard spot financially with no money coming in and still having all the same expense and probably even more expenses now that you've got some dis- disability mm-hmm. uh, going on. So it's extremely important, you know, to your point, when you start a job, a lot of times that might be a benefit that's provided, not necessarily all, always. I, I think the larger the employer you work with, the more typical that that's going to be that you're, you're offered that, which is good. And a lot of times that might be something that the employer covers a good chunk of the cost for you. And so, you know, that might be a situation where if your employer offers it, there might not be a whole lot of decision for you to make. Maybe, you know, the employer's covering some amount of it or, or a good chunk of it. But some of the things to be thinking about, you know, is, is just understanding what you have. And so, you know, a lot of times disability, whereas, you know, life insurance, a lot of times they might sell you whatever you're going to buy. Disability insurance kind of works a little bit differently because they don't want you incentivized to sit on your couch, you know, playing, you know, PlayStation sure. all day. They want you going back to work, right? right. And so, they're going to give you an amount of coverage to kind of make you somewhat whole, but not necessarily all the way whole. So mm-hmm. a lot of those policies are going to provide like two thirds of your income, you know, so you, you, you and, and then the question is, well, is that amount taxable? You know, so typically how that works is because because if you're, you know, say you were making and I'll just keep the math straight, say you're making 100 grand, mm-hmm. you have two thirds coverage. So, you know, you're basically getting like 67 grand and you're like, OK, well, that's great. But if, if that benefit is taxable, now you're really not in the same spot because right. now you're, you know, making a, essentially a third less. And typically how that works is if the employer is paying the premium on your behalf, that's great. Although the bad side of that is your benefits will typically be taxable if your employer pays the premium for you. So, you know, particularly you see this with people that either don't have uh, group coverage at work or, you know, the other thing is that a lot of times the group coverage only covers you up to a certain amount. So it might say two thirds of your salary, but it might be capped at a certain amount. Sure. So maybe it says two thirds, but maybe it's, but it's actually capped at like 5,000 a month. So if you're somebody that's making more than like 120 grand, you're really not getting two thirds because you're really only getting 60 grand because that's the cap. Right. And so different employers might have different caps and it kind of depends on the types of employees they have. Employers that typically have higher earning individuals might have higher caps mm-hmm. because that's what their employees are going to want. So, and, and, or if you're like in a doctor group, they might even have a cap of like 15 grand a month or something like that. So it's important to understand what the cap is. It's important to understand how your benefits would be taxed. And, then, and so you mentioned that the, in situations where your employer is paying your premium, you find yourself where you're, it's taxable. Is that is that a good reason to go out and find your own policy then? Because it or does it just depend on the good, policy? Good question. I would generally say no. I still okay. think if you know if they're paying that on your behalf, you know that's a good benefit, and I right. would generally take the benefit. It's one of those where you know if if you're out there and you're buying your own coverage, you know one of the one of the benefits of doing that is you know if you're paying it, it's it's a tax free benefit. Sure, but you're still having to pay it. Right. You know? But but that's a good question. So I would generally say you know unless you know there's some other crazy factors going on, if if your employers are offering it, you're going to take it and, right. and know that you know it's going to be treated as taxable benefit in most parts. Now sometimes there's you know, ways where they structure it that, you know, that, it, that some of it can be treated as though you paid it, you, you know, they can gross things up. So there's stuff going on behind the scenes where maybe you have an option or they can treat it differently. But generally speaking, you know, if they're offering it and they're paying it, then it's going to be taxable to you mm-hmm. and you're somewhat limited and you're kind of just accepting whatever they provide. Mm-hmm. But it's always under, good to understand like how you're covered and what is provided. Cause the other part of it is as your income rises, even if you have a, a group plan at work, and say you get to the point where you're exceeding that cap, 
you know, you'll see this a lot of times with professionals, whether, you know, whether it's doctors or lawyers or, you know, it could be accountant, you know, as your income goes up and your, you know, your income level is no longer adequately protected by the cap in the group plan, mm -hmm. you can go out and buy an individual policy on top of it. You know, that's what I was going to ask. Correct. Is there something similar to an umbrella for disability? Correct. Okay. And that's an important one. And maybe not umbrella is the wrong term, but just to cover above what you're already covered. It's, and it's, it's, they just would call it, you know, supplemental policy and supplemental long-term disability policy. So we actually, you know, we have a lot of clients as we're advising on their insurance that, you know, as they tend to, you know, get higher net worth and making more money, part of what we do is help educate them on, hey, let's understand what's in place, right? Let's, what's, what is your, what does your employer provide? And, and a lot of times, you know, people have no idea, you know, it's just like anything you sign up for your benefits and maybe you read a little bit when you signed up and then however many years go by and you're like, I, you know, I have no idea what I have. So a lot of it's just educating on, okay, what do we have in place? Is it adequately protecting where we're at now? Maybe mm -hmm. it adequately protected you when you started out, but as your income's risen, that's one where we find a lot of times there's a gap where somebody's making a decent amount of money and employer coverage is only protecting them up to a certain point, and there's a gap there that we want to fill in with a, a supplemental policy. And then the nice part about the the supplemental policy is like we talked about on that policy where you're paying the premium, the benefit is tax free. So that even, you know, kind of juices up the value to you long term. So sure. Is there any insurance completely to avoid anything out there where someone's gonna come at you and say you need this, don't go for it? Or is this pretty much basic? I mean, these are pretty much all the basic these are basic. I mean, you know, I mean you could get all sorts of in, in the employer setting, you could get offered all, you know, like accidental death and stuff and if it's a cheap coverage or if it's just provided, but you, you know, that's really in my mind, like if you're getting covered by life insurance, you're really kind of co covering yourself, right. you know, cause that's only going to cover like, you know, if you, you get a, a really rare incident where you're injured in a specific way that'll come up, you know, uh, pro provide some coverage. I don't know, like people, there's differing thoughts on like identity theft insurance. I mean, sure. I think, you know, there's lots of these services out there now. Some of them are probably better than others. I mean, if you, you know, Google that, you probably get, you know, some people saying they're great and they've, they've helped me, but because of, they had it happen to them. Right. But, but, <laughs> but, but, but really like in an identity theft situation, you know, from what I understand, most of the time the, those claims don't end up, you know, you don't end up being in a spot where you're out of pocket a ton. It might be a pain in terms of like, explaining stuff to like your credit card company and your financial Canceling institution, getting it all in the, yeah. there could be some pain involved with that. But I think generally, you know, if there's fraud involved and somebody's out using your stuff, you're generally kind of protected. And, and credit card companies are typically pretty solid about that as far as I know. Yeah. So, but, but those are also those, you know, those things don't cost a ton. So like if you're on one and you have one and it's just peace of mind and you like it, then it's not going to ruin you financially, but right. you know, that might be one that you may or may not need. But you know, I think generally, you know, the ones we've been talking about are all either stuff you're going to re be required to have or st are things that you you're going to want to have at some point. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just important to, you know, it's like anything else. Like when you're figuring out insurance and, and, and you're working from, you know, say you're just starting out and you have no idea, you know, the, the, the wealth of information out there on the internet, and this can be good and bad because you could stumble on some, some stupid stuff. That's bad advice, but generally speaking, it's not too hard. Like if you put a little bit of effort into develop a baseline of knowledge so that if you're going to, before you go talk to your agent or you go talk to whoever, you at least have some familiarity of like what is going on and what I might potentially need so right. that you kind of have, you're asking better questions. So it's like, you know, or your financial planner. Correct. Exactly. You know, whoever, you know, financial advisor Advice. could be your parents when you're younger, <clears throat> you know, don't underutilize them as a resource. They've gone through all this stuff and probably right. made a lot of mistakes along the way. Right. And, you know, asking them, 
who do they work with, you know, and, or, you know, I'm thinking about getting this amount of coverage. Is that, you know, that's a not, not a bad sanity check. You know, you can trust them. I would assume do put in some legwork. I mean, you don't have to overthink it and, and make it more complicated than it needs to be, but generally the more effort you put in to kind of developing your own knowledge is going to make you a better consumer and a better shopper and asking better questions. That's awesome. Well, Hey, I mean, I, you know, I appreciate you talking to us. I, I'd never thought that I could actually sit down and talk about uh, insurance for an hour and, and still be, you know, Hey, we don't have to stop. I, I got, I'm, <laughs> I you know, let's say, pop a beer and let's get crazy. I was going to say, you, you are a wealth of knowledge. I can tell you can keep going. That's right. the thing. There's a lot going on out there, but to your point about just talk, asking people, talking to people that you trust and your professional services, folks that you work with, all of that. I mean, it, it, it makes it, like I said, demystifies a lot of it. So I appreciate your time and anything else that you want to leave us with? No, I, you know, thanks for having me. You know, I think, uh, you know, again, it's just put in the time, you know, ask good questions, use your resources they have available to you. You're going to be in a much better spot and protecting yourself from all the stupid stuff that can happen to you that you don't want to put you in a financially bad spot that you could avoid. So sweet. Well, thanks, Joe. Absolutely. You've reached the end of another episode of Let's Talk Business. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your podcast app, Spotify, or iTunes. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to make light.